morning, how are you? Good. I mean, I love stuff like that, and I, I don't think I've ever spoken up here with balloons, so this is great. I love this. Um, if you are new here, my name's Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor here, and I first just want to say thank you for everybody who responded to the continuing legacy. I mean, we were like, hey, we think it's going to take us some time, and, and, and we're a third of the way there in one week, so our, our church has always been very generous, and I just love it because... We had this statement in the beginning that we, we, we were, were building this church together, and it will not just take one person or a few. It's going to take all of us. And so that's just a testimony to that, and I want to thank you for that. It's a little bit of what we are going to talk about today in this continuation of Hebrews. Now, if you have not been here, you have come for uh, the good stuff. The good stuff is starting to kind of kind of kind of make the conclusion of the book the encouragement the things we that as believers need to hear and the writer of hebrews is is as we've said before he is writing a sermon and this is his closing of his sermon this is where he's starting to really focus in and he's starting to ask people to take a leap of faith he's presented a really good case and now he's going to kind of wind it down. And it's really inviting to all of us as well of where he's going. So this book, if you don't know, was written to people who are in a real crisis of faith. Um, we don't necessarily experience the type of persecution and abandonment and a struggle for having your faith. But we understand in some ways what it feels like when someone views you differently because of your faith in a negative way. I think we've all been there. And so I think that this relates in ways that people are experiencing around the world for their faith and should connect our hearts with them, our fellow believers, brothers and sisters, but also remind us when we want to throw in the towel or we want to just give up or it's just, just, just uh, our faith is just, um, it's not showing the fruit that we were hoping to see. There's so many layers to, I think, our struggle and doubts, but the encouragement to hang on, to endure, to, to come back to center and stay there. Um, I would say this last week, we talked about just God rewards the faithful. And, and when we talk about reward and we talk about blessing, we have to see them differently. Blessings are things I think we will see within our lifetime, within an experience. The way the writer talks about it, and theologically it's more correct, I think, which is to think of reward as something we'll see in the next, in, in, in the next part of our journey, which would be in heaven. The reward for our continued work. The, the reward for, and ultimately this is why it goes to faith, because it's, you're working towards something you can't quite see, but you can see it spiritually. And so you continue to press on, although you may not see it yet, but you will one day. We, uh, we quoted uh, this very well-known person, Corey Tim Boom, last week. And she said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And it, and it really comes down to that statement. How, how, how much do we trust in the very character of the God who's made himself known to you? And, and, and I think that takes a tremendous amount of effort, but never be afraid 
to put your faith, your trust in whatever you see around you into the hands of a known God that knows you and you know him. This week, if you have been tired, if you have struggled, if your faith is experiencing fatigue, this is a message for you. I have been here so many times in my Christian walk. I remember when I was first hearing about being a Christian before I was, you'd hear all these things of like, your life will change. Things will be incredible. God wants to bless you. There's favor on your life. There's, there's a future and a blessing for you. All of those are correct, but they leave out the other parts when they're making the sales pitch. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, wait, wait, but there's also struggle. There's also hardships. There's also uh, a, a fatigue that can set in. And if you're in here and, and, and you can relate to these peaks and valleys in your life, where moments it felt like your faith was so strong, and then there's moments where it felt like, where do I even find my faith? And we get lost. Th those are very natural. You should never feel weird about that. And, and as a matter of fact, what the writer starts to point out is maybe God's hand is in part of that refining your faith. And so it's a very encouraging piece of scripture. I recommend that you go through and read it after the sermon and start to process it and what God's wanting to show you. But I'll at least point out what the writer, I think, is trying to do here. And it's what do you do when your strength is failing? What do you do when you're running out of gas? What do you do when you don't know what to do? We know fatigue. If you have a child, you know fatigue. If you work in a hard job, Mondays are hard, you know fatigue. If you, I think there's so many areas, if you have a relationship that has been very tough, you know fatigue. And I think if you have faith, then if you haven't felt fatigued, I would question the tenacity of what you're acting in your faith. Because you will feel it. You will experience it. It doesn't mean it's bad. You're on the path to something very, very good. So let's pray and then we'll jump into it. God, we just ask that. I ask personally, God, that how you spoke to me through this, even in my writing of it to me, which I needed to hear. I ask that every person here has a nugget, something that, that, that lights up or something they can connect with in this message. I ask that today, God, that every ear that needs to hear is open and every eye that needs to see can see what you're trying to speak to their heart. And God, that you are a loving God who, who, who has our very best interest in, involved and also that we are in your plan and we have to trust. So we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message, Strength to Continue. Uh, this might sound weird how I'm phrasing it, but we're, I'm, I'm, I think the writer is doing this. And so I'm just going to repeat kind of his, what I think he's trying to do. And if you can think this will be the resting theme I want you to think about when you leave today. Is moving from possessing your faith to your faith possessing you. Now, that is the difference the writer is moving the people to. 
It's something that it's, it, it has a hold of you. It lets you walk blindly. It almost lets you see beyond whatever's in front of you, although you're experiencing it. But your faith and trust in God possesses you, not just you possess it. And I think it's, it's one of these things that when you feel it and you know it and, and your faith just has a hold of you and you're like almost like walking, like how am I walking forward right now? I cannot see, but I'm going to continue to do. Your faith is possessing you in those moments. Um, you know, when I think about this, the strength to continue, and I think about when you're fatigued. When I was a kid growing up, the best example, I didn't see much of it, but the best example as a kid when I was watching movies was Rocky Three. Now, I know it's a fan favorite. Everyone here has seen it, right? Okay, amen, right? This scene right here, this was the scene that you kind of scratch your head and you're like, you were just getting beat on for 10 minutes from Mr. T. And all of a sudden, something clicked inside of you, and then you were in a place, a bad place, in the corner. And, and they're constantly yelling, you, get out of the corner, rock, right? Like, it's nonstop. And then something happens, something clicks, and then you see the second wind come in. You see, like, this mentality take over with Rocky that no matter what, I am not going to fall on this ground and not get up. This is where everyone is at in that moment in, that he's riding to. They're in the corner. Their back's against the wall, and they're considering just falling. But we have to have the tenacity where our faith possesses us, almost like in that movie where it's like something comes over him. Uh, there's this uh, thing in long-distance long running or any endurance races. It's called hitting the wall. I myself have never experienced hitting the wall because I despise running. I think ellipticals were made for those who love their hips. And so I love very easy things on the old, uh, on the old hips. But runners will talk about it. And I've been reading a little bit about it because there's a certain thing I'm encountering right now where I'm hitting a wall and I'm really frustrated what it's doing to me. And so when I was reading about it, I started reading about the origins of the term. I love that stuff. And, and the idea is when you're going and things are fine, but all of a sudden you are literally come to a stop. You've overwhelmed yourself. You've pushed yourself too far. And your body no longer says we can do this, no matter how strong your mind is. And the Germans have a term for it they call <laughs> I like this one the best. They call it, oh, he's being visited by the man with the hammer. And it's an old term that's like, okay, all of a sudden they're going, and it's like someone smashed them over the head with the hammer, and they're done. I think, I think in some ways we might know what this feels like. If you've done it physically, but even in our faith, it feels like, wow, I've hit a wall. You're down, Right? You're, uh, you, you, you're down, you're completely out. And it kind of looks like this guy right here. This is my favorite picture I found. That's a struggle. Now, if you've ever, if you can imagine yourself in your low moments of your faith and fatigue, this is what it probably looked like. You're just crawling. And the more frustrating thing is this next photo is when you hit the wall and everybody is just 
gazelle passing you, and you're like, ah, why are they doing so well? Why have I hit this wall? I'm in a really bad way. That's a very hard place to be. Others are thriving, and I am not. And these moments are, are, are when you're going to have to interpret it the right way because we can interpret it the wrong way. God, why are they doing so well and I'm not doing well? God, why are they thriving and I've hit this wall? This will be the struggle that happens within our faith that we'll have to shift a little bit or we'll be stuck there on the ground. And I read these you know, seven ways to overcome the wall when you hit it. And I thought they're very relatable to even our faith. One is realize what is happening. That God has not abandoned you. That all isn't lost. That realize what is happening and take a moment. So this next, next photo kind of symbolizes that. Of just take a minute and collect yourself and realize this is what happening. And when you do that, they say in these races, first you can get your head around the idea of what is actually happening. Then it says to compose your breath, get into a better rhythm than what you've been in. And then a momentary rest, but not long, too long, and you will not get up. A momentary rest. And there are times like that in our life, in our faith, where you just have to take a second, collect yourself, know what's going on, and take a, a, a minute but not too long, or you'll stay there in discouragement. And then very, I thought this was interesting, and this is what I'm trying to figure out for my personal problem, is very slowly take 10 minutes of just slow movement, and, and it gives your body enough time for your kidneys to do something with your fatty acids that, that deals with the glucosin level in your body. And it naturally does it after 10 minutes, but you just have to continually, slowly move. And I think some of us have been there in our faith where it just feels like I've got to go at a snail's pace, but maybe that's not the wrong pace for a minute. And I think that then it goes into like just visualizing where you want to be, they say, and remember your inspiration. This next photo just says it's so good for me and how it feels sometimes in your faith. You're walking you're moving. It doesn't look graceful. It doesn't look beautiful. You don't say all the right things, and things aren't exactly perfect, but you're taking steps. I have so much respect for those who do that. And then lastly, if in need, and this is why the church body is so helpful in these moments of, church, of faith fatigue, is this next photo, I think, visualizes this for us, is that you have to ask somebody for help. You cannot necessarily do it alone when you cannot do it alone you've got to have people and people can help you through these moments that's why we need our church it's why you need to be open and honest with other people when you've hit the wall and there's nothing happening i think we've experienced in our faith journey he is speaking to people who have hit this wall and they are in trouble and he needs to move them beyond it and help prepare them for it to push through a lot. And then sometimes in our faith journey, we've already been through so much. It's like, have you ever said this? Like, like how much more can I take? Have you ever been there? How much, what, when's enough? When is it enough, God? How much more can I take? And then what these people are in, and I think I've been here in points in my life, and I'm sure you have, where then all of a sudden now you hit a crisis. And the crisis is the wall. 
You're already tired going into it. Now you're in a crisis. Now you've hit the wall. And it's a hard place to be. I'm not going to ever downplay that. But it's a place you don't have to stay. And you can move forward. He gives us his own four ways to overcome spiritual fatigue. Or when you have hit the faith wall. Or to deal with a faint heart. And he gives us them, and I'll list them out, and then we'll go through and look at each one. One is he points to legacy. And then the other one he points to endurance. And another one he points to correction, which will be a very interesting one. And then he points to courage. And these are his four things that I think he's doing to say, if you're here, remember these things. Walk this process, and you will experience what I believe you're hoping to push through. Uh, the verses I'm going to read is Hebrews 11, 29 through 12, 17, 18. And he, the first exhortation he gives, which is this first thing that remember to do of these four is to remember the legacy. Remember the people who were before you. Remember the people around you who've seen endure the wall. Remember those who have been so discouraged and you see them now and you're like, wow, you're, del you're, you're delighted even though it w it's suffering. Remember those who laid the groundwork before you, who pushed through so you could take a step in the same path. Remember those people. And what he does here really interesting is he makes sure that the readers understand that there are... There are um, Real-life consequences to those when it comes to their belief in God, faith in God and Him and trusting Him and those who don't. So he first lays this contrast out really, really well. There are those who place their faith in God and there are those who don't. And the, the outcome is not the same. And we have to continue to remember that, that even though it seems like others are thriving and doing well and things are going great, the outcome will not be the same standing in front of God on that day. And there is this difference, and, and I'm kind of processing this a little bit myself, so I won't teach on it, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dance around it. I think there is a big difference between when I say I believe something and when I say I have faith for something. I think a lot of times I can say, do you believe in aliens? And you'll go, I think I believe or I don't believe, right? That's a belief. That's a choice. That's something that you're choosing to embrace, like a value you want to hold, something you want to live by. Faith is very different. Faith is something you can't fully reason. It's not something you can embrace or just go, okay, I think I believe this. Faith is a do or don't. Do I trust or do I not trust? Will I hold on to this faith in this God of who I cannot always see in the way that he can be seen? Or this Jesus who I've never met, can I hang on to that faith as deeply as I can? It's a blind trust. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. He's going back to those leaving Egypt with Moses as he's leading them. By faith, they did it. But, and here's the important part, the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, were drowned. And he's starting to paint a contrast. By faith, they crossed. And those who didn't have faith, who wanted to cross, 
could not cross. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. That great story about where they marched around Jericho, the walls fell. By faith, they fell down after they had encircled it for seven days. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. She was uh, connected with these guys who were spies, and then she allowed them up into the city to, to look at it. And she trusted that actually the God they're talking about is greater than the city of which she's living in. And so she's going to trust their God, and God made a way where the others didn't have a way. So he's laying out this contrast. And I like how he's setting it up for how we have to firmly believe and then he goes on to say that um, they were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then he goes into this next section. So he's laying the contrast. Those with faith will go through. And those without faith, although they want to, will not. So it's pretty strong. And he highlights two experiences of faith. And I think this is very relatable to us. And he, and he uses this in such an interesting way and in how he lists these out. And, and, and the first experience of faith is faith in triumph. Faith when it's like you pressed on and you saw the reward in front of you. You trusted God and you were, over, you were able to overcome. You were in the valley, but yet you're standing on the mountaintop. This is the type of triumphant faith we have. And I'll be honest with you, when it comes to triumphant faith, we love that for us, don't we? We love that. We want to be there. We see the results right in front of us. Oh, I got the job I've been praying for. Or I got the relationship that I've been praying for and seeking for. Or I, I have um, the healing I've been searching God out for, or et cetera, et cetera. We love those triumphs, and we should. Those are faith in triumphs. Listen to this, verse 32. And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets. Now, if you do not know who any of these characters are, they're, they're characters who were called by God, had no ability to do what they were called to do, but God equipped them to do it. All of them, at some point, were overlooked all of them were, in, in many, many people's eyes, less than. And so you look through and you go, wow, these are heroes of faith. These are people that God did something miraculous through. And he led them to something where they experienced victory for their people, for God's plan. And they were able to see it right in front of them. And through faith they conquered, these people, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained uh, the promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness. Ooh, we love these stories. It's kind of when we see God flex in a way and it's beyond what we're able to do. By faith, they saw those things. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead from resurrection. And a few prophet stories of where the child was dead and God raised them from the dead. They're by faith, they saw all of that. And it was very triumphant. We love those moments. 
And then he flips right from there into a contrast because he's setting them in a mindset that it doesn't always look like triumph. It's not always beautiful. Faith has tragedy. And there's a faith in tragedy. Even though you're experiencing tragedy and difficulty, he's framing their mindset that tough times are going to be ahead of them. And if it's tragic, it doesn't mean God's not with you. If it's tragic, it doesn't mean even that God's not with you in the process and for you in the process and carrying you through the process for something greater on the other end for you. But it's hard to be there. And when it comes to faith and tragedy, we hate this for us. We hate this. We, 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 we struggle in it. We suffer in it. And when we see someone else going through it, we're just like, I'm really glad that's not happening to me. I really want to just be in the triumphant faith. And it is a constant struggle. It's experiencing, I think, and I, I have been here, I've experienced this, and I know many of you have, where you, it's not what you expected it to be. It feels like it didn't meet the mark of what you thought God would do in your life. And it's, it's a hard struggle, you know. And we ask the big questions, why, more than, God, what's next? We ask a lot more of, why, God? Why? 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 And in those moments, in the, in the tragic faith, in the moment when you're having faith, even in the middle of difficulty, it's, it's when we will have this option that's presented before us. We will either in those moments become bitter or we will become better. And these are opportunities in some cases God is presenting even before us to, to let us grab a hold of something to become either bitter or better. And he's encouraging them that these moments can make you bitter and they will make you give up and they will make you run and they will make you just even maybe renounce your faith. But these moments can shape you to be better for a reason. In this, in this world, he goes on to say, you will have trouble, Jesus. Oh, sorry, this isn't here. I'm quoting Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's in uh, John 16, uh, 33. Jesus himself is saying, in this world, you will have trouble. Not like, oh, maybe you'll have some trouble. You will encounter tragedy, difficulty, trial. And so in those places, don't worry, because what Jesus has done is overcome the world. So put your faith in him in the middle of that. So here's how he goes on, and the writer says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again into a better life. Oof! Did, did you hear that? Some just looked forward to the other side, and they possessed that. In the middle of the tragedy. I don't like that. I want something better. But some. They looked forward. Right. That they might rise again to a better life. In the midst of their suffering. Others suffered mocking and flogging. Even chained in, in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. And they were sawed in two. This is the Jewish tradition legend of Isaiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of, of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And I love verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. 
the, the world was not worthy of this type of person who held on to their faith. And this is what God is saying, is the world is not worthy of you in that faith, but I will have you. The world will not understand. The world, it, it can be a very cruel place. It, it's, you're, it's not worthy of someone who has possessed their faith like you have. Wandering about in the desert in mountains and in dens and in caves on the earth. We, we, we hate the valley living, but he had to point out to his people that this is a part of being a Christian. It's a part of our faith. We hate those moments when it's, you can't see anything but the fog of your life war and you cannot see even a mountaintop to climb to. We hate those moments. And I think what the writer is saying is even if it ends in the valley, it doesn't end there for you. Even if it ends there, it doesn't really end there. And that's that hope that some of these believers are going to have to embrace as they might be put in the chains, as they might be persecuted to a place of no return. And he says, it, it may end there, but it doesn't end for you. So put your hope and trust in that. It's, it's kind of an interesting verse to quote probably right now, but I, I found comfort in it. John 14, 2. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That's the comforting that even if it ends in the valley and it's difficult and you're experiencing maybe the end in your faith because of some great ordeal. It doesn't end there for you. Jesus has prepared a place and that's comforting Enough. Now, we don't experience this so much, but let your heart connect with the believers all around the world that are being massacred all over in many countries right now, today. That that's what they're experiencing, and Jesus has made them a promise like he's made us. And I think the hard thing about tragedy is this, is sometimes I wonder, like, what's the point of it? Why, God, would I go through this in my faith? What's the point of my tragedy? Why am I struggling? Why is it so difficult, God? Why, why would I even have to go through this in my faith? And I love what Charles Spurgeon said, great evangelist in the 1800s, has preached in unbelievable sermons and maybe the most of any preacher who had ever lived. And he said this, I would go to the depths of a hundred, uh, depths a hundred times to cheer a downcast spirit. It is good for me to have been afflicted that I might know how to speak a word in season to the one that is weary. So even if you have been through the valley too many times, I promise you, have you not been able to hear someone else tell their story and go, I completely understand right where you're at. Never regret those moments. Never do that. It's an opportunity that you grew in your faith, that you experienced it so you can come alongside of someone else. There's nothing worse than sharing a level of your life and vulnerability and someone looks at you like they don't have a clue of what you're talking about, but they feel sorry for you. There's a beauty in all of that that God uses in a beautiful way. To, to further his kingdom and, and to encourage other people. He goes on to say this, and he closes out this faith part in verse 39 to close that chapter. And all these 
though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Oof. Verse 40, since God was providing, has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, let me explain that sentence because it can sound very arrogant and entitled. What the, he means through this is that by you hanging on to your faith today completes their sacrifice for their faith that led it Christ to here now. So by you hanging on to your faith, you're continuing that legacy that they laid and sacrificed their lives for that, that you, what you can possess now. And that perfects their faith through you hanging on to your faith. It's like a parent. When you see the values of instilling your kids and then all of a sudden you see them doing it, it's like, oh, you've perfected the work that I put into it. That's what that verse means when you hang on to your faith. It completes the work. And by the way, if you haven't read chapter 11 on your own, um, he is giving you the history of salvation. And it's important to know your history and the people who laid their lives down for it, who took leaps of faith. And you cannot read through your salvation history without seeing a bunch of really messed up people who struggled in their faith at times, who held on and trusted when they couldn't see, and who sacrificed in many, many ways for your faith legacy. You're standing on the shoulders of giants in your faith. And we should look at them as people that we relate to because they struggled. They did bad things. They didn't meet the mark, but they continued to hang on. The second thing, and I'll close with it, I have four, but I knew I wasn't going to finish this. So if you want to hear the rest of it, so you don't walk around incomplete all week and like, no, I don't have faith. No. So you're going to have to come back or you can lose your faith. How about that? Okay. <laughs> the second exhortation he gives, which is probably one that we all need to hear is re the reason to endure. Why we endure. Listen to this. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. Oh, now, this laying aside, before we get into what you're laying aside, is the work. Laying aside every weight, everything that plagues your mind, everything that wants to creep up and say, see, God isn't who he is. Every Burden, lay it aside, every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance. Endurance in this uh, context means perseverance. Run with perseverance, the race that's been set before you. God has placed a, a path and a race in front of you. And he wants you to run it. And that path won't be perfect it will have peaks and valleys and difficulties for your good. Uh, I'll never forget the, uh, I used to take these students up uh, on my trips when I was a youth minister and we'd take them up to different places and we found this place where you had to jump off of a huge cliff. And there's nothing greater than watching someone struggle and question the, it, the existential crisis that they're having and wondering, why am I here? What am I doing? When they stand at the edge of the cliff and they're afraid of heights and they've never jumped off and they think if they jump in, they're never coming out. When you see this, you're just like, oh my gosh, the struggle is so real. Have you ever been there? 
and they get up to the edge and they're about ready to jump and then, and then they can't and they back off and then they go and then when they jump, you're like, unbelievable, you did it. And then they get out of the water and they're like, I'm coming back up to do it again. You're like, wow, I love that moment. And I really love the moment when the really cool person on the trip gets up there and they can't do it and someone who they didn't think was cool jumps and they're just like, oh, that's my favorite moment. It is beautiful to watch. And I think it's like it inspires people when someone has come through something difficult, when they overcame something hard, when they didn't just lean into comfort, but they went into something difficult. It inspires other people. So in one sense, your endurance is an inspiration to other people when you keep hanging on and pushing through. And the writer is telling them, you will inspire many, don't give up. Because they're talking. Are we done with this thing? Are we out? This is getting tough. The community is disrupted. And he's saying, your endurance will inspire many people. It's just the way records are broken. Once someone sees it can be done, someone else can do it better. We, you are that in some people's lives. They will see that you hung on past the difficulty and the fatigue and you pushed through. And then when they ask you, how'd you do it? You can say, I, I, I can just walk with you through it and be there when you need me. But I understand. It's a beautiful moment. And he lists these great examples of faith, right? When it comes to endurance. And, and, and they're inspiring. But then he says, but... After I've listed all these amazing people, let me point your eyes to the one you really should look at. Let me let you look at the real greatest of all time. Uh, verse 2, looking to Jesus, he says, meaning this. When you, this phrase means no distractions, tuning out everybody else, pushing aside all those weights, and focusing singularly on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. No one has that title in the Bible. If you wanted to go and learn about something you really love, a product you bought, you would go to the founder and the creator and the perfecter of it. So he says, look to him. He will guide you and help you and show you. But listen how he describes the founder. For who for joy that was set before him endured the cross. I like that he uses the word endure. He doesn't use the word suffered the cross. He endured the cross, meaning that he continued on through it in joy. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he is having these two thieves? Do you remember the conversation he has, one of his last conversations ministering? It is with a thief who is unworthy, he felt. But Jesus says, oh, but you'll be with me in paradise. In his suffering, in his difficulty, he endured, and it was his joy to have that conversation in the middle of his trial. That's who Jesus is. It says despising the shame, meaning that he, 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 the shame that was brought upon Jesus is not something he thought, this is wonderful. He despised it and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility, the sinners, the very people he was coming to save against him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4, and we'll close. 
in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, sometimes when I read scripture like this, I have to digest it for a second. Because what is he exactly saying to these people? I think it helps a little bit when I read it, if I put these emojis, because I text a lot, and so this is how I communicate. This is how I think he would have ended that passage with those emojis. Question mark, exclamation point, eye roll. He is telling them, not shaming them, but saying like, you haven't suffered to the end yet. You haven't shed blood yet for this faith. So I know it's hard, but you haven't gone this far. You revere these, you respect those, but then you yourself haven't been there, but you want to give up. So you, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So you've got more in you. This book isn't about how you should martyr yourself. This book is about how you should endure. He's not calling martyrs. He's calling people who will endure. And in some cases, people were martyred. But they haven't been there yet. So endure, endure, endure. I will finish up the rest of this next week. We'll talk about embracing correction from God and and encouraging fear. Um, But yeah, if anything can encourage you is that let your faith possess you, not just possess it. Let it drive you, move you. Let it push you things that are difficult. And when you're down, when you're hit the wall, you can come through that in your faith. And you can continue to take these steps that he gives us to endure and to push through. So let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much. I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what this has meant to me, the, these particular verses for me. And I know many in here have been encouraged by this book. That their faith is the central part of their life. And there's nothing greater than you, Jesus. And there's nothing better or worth living for than our faith in you. I thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us. This is a character of who you have always been, God. And in us today, we are no exception. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Though we are in the valley of the shadow of death in our life, We do not have to fear because you're with us. And God, I thank you. And I pray for many of us in here who have been in a faith fatigue, who have seen things happen we don't understand and it's unexpected and our faith is wavering. God, I pray that just in their heart, God, in their life, that you give them more faith, that you teach them in these moments to rise and not to quit. And God, that they have a sense that they can look to you, Jesus. And look to the person that you are. And the place that you hold in our life. And they can press on, keeping their eyes on you and not on everything else. And they will endure. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we take communion? Feel free at any moment during worship to come down and and grab communion and head back to your place and then have your time with God.